I'm Francesca Donnellan. Welcome to Becoming More Human, the podcast. Every generation, through its arts and creativity, explores the same questions. Who am I and what really matters? We are so often taught how to emulate others to make other people happy. But how do we access what's good for ourselves and be strong enough to actually claim it? It's a constant practice because we all keep evolving. There are no limits to personal growth. You can start your journey today and get closer to discovering your true self. Give back to the people around you and make the world a better place. Hello, listeners. On today's episode, I'm talking with Vicky Stone. She is the co-writer, adapter and musical supervisor of the hit family entertainment show, Hey Dougie. That's just won a 2023 Olivier Award. Vicky is set to become the most professionally performed living female writer this year, with five new works on at the same time, including a funked-up remix of Alice in Wonderland at Liverpool Playhouse and the lyric in Hammersmith's 2023 panto Cinderella. Vicky is no stranger to breaking ceilings. Last year, she was seen as one of the on-screen musical directors of ITV's primetime Romeo and Duet, challenging the norms of the male-dominated world of musical direction and TV house bands. Vicky is passionate about her craft and is the perfect example of why we need to do more to support the arts. Creativity is vital to discovering the meaning behind what is becoming more human. So I have no doubt you will find this episode a real snippet of inspiration. I can't wait for you to listen. So enough from me and let's jump straight in. Welcome to Becoming More Human, Vicky. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm very excited to get stuck into our conversation today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Um, so the way we like to kick off on Becoming More Human is um, we ask our guests to kind of pick a song or hopefully, you know, a piece of theatre, um, you know, a creative medium that has um, that really means something to you that maybe represents something in your life. So, so do you have anything for us? Yeah, well, so I was thinking about this, and I, could, I couldn't decide whether whether or not it's terribly egotistical of me uh, <laughs> to choose one of my own Ooh, songs. No, I love um, this. Mainly because, so uh, when I'm when I'm writing music and writing theatre, I don't tend to listen to anything else. Like I can't run with music in my head. Mm. I'm very very influenced by kind of what I hear and what I'm listening to. Right. Obviously, most writers are. So I like to keep my head quite quite free of other stuff so that I can come up with tunes myself and I often find myself like especially when I'm in a rehearsal room so I'm about to I'm about to start rehearsals for a a production of Alice in Wonderland and end of the month that's going to be at the Liverpool Playhouse over the summer and there's one tune and it's we just just went into recording studio last week to play it and I can't remember writing it like I I think I go into I think I go into a headspace where where I'm so focused and I'm so like in the zone Mm. I don't feel like it, it It was, like, the normal me mm. that writes it. You, so that makes it sound like a superpower. It, but <laughs> well, it is. It's called, like, being in your zone of genius. It's when you're in your zone of genius, and this could be any anyone's job at any time, It's it just becomes, like, a natural thing for you to do. You don't really know you're doing it. Mm. And it's amazing to hear you say you get into that because that's really like, getting into your flow, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and I guess that's really where you're, yeah. you're happiest. 
Yeah, so the, the song that I, that I would, that I, the piece of work that, that for the, from the question is a song that I wrote um, quite a few years ago now, and it's called Marvin, and it's mm. from my first kind of musical theatre album that I put out called Zoological Society, which is uh, a musical about um, a load of animals in a zoo, but it's not aimed at kids, it's aimed at adults, okay. and, it's, and it's kind of turns like human human problems on their head, and and um, and this is uh, a uh, it's the character is a penguin, and she she's lost her mate, he's gone, she doesn't know where he's gone and she's she's sort of uh, battling with that those those feelings mm. about sort of being abandoned really she's battling with these feelings of being abandoned and and I absolutely love the song I, I love this I know it's like my own work it, it's brilliant and, and it was just gloriously recorded by a performer called Lucy Jones and mm. there was it was such a magical moment where you have when you have an amazing singer like take your work and then mm. elevate it and I have a photograph of myself uh, having written it I don't know why I decided to take a selfie having written it but like my hair's all over the place I'm holding a, <laughs> holding a ukulele and it's not a song on ukulele but I tend to write guitar parts okay, yeah. on a uke because like, you can sort of mess around with them in software yeah. so it sounds like a guitar because mm. um, software guitar sounds dire yeah. um, and so I, ha- I have all this stuff on and my, my wall behind me is covered in post-it notes which is, which, which is like of the writing of the yeah. show like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really dishevelled, and it's just, it's just. A, I think if I didn't have that photo, I wouldn't really remember the moment. But it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely like a piece of work, sort of piece of work that has changed a lot for me as well. And, and how how does that creative process unfold for you? Because it sounds like a, it's a really intense part of like creation and like getting stuck into yourself. And like you mentioned, you don't get involved with sort of the outside noise. You've got to keep your mind free, but. You know, that's easier said than done, surely. Like, how does that work for you? Like, how do you get into that part of your mind and really discover that you can sort of work that part of you, your creative brain, really, really hard? Um, a lot of it is deadlines. So uh, <laughs> so if I have a show, if I, I'm, I've got one show that's on my slate that's deadlineless, yeah. and I just, meh, it's never going to get written. It's, 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 the, it's the deadline of performance, of, 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 and I'm very good. That's also one of my superpowers is that I love making deadlines. Mm. The, the satisfaction of not having to ask for an extension and handing the script in on the day that it's due, I really, I really love like being that person that, that gets it in on time, and so yeah, the, the, na- nowadays yeah. it is it's it, it's a job. So it's like it's like meeting those deadlines. Yeah. I, I met, um, I've, I've now I'm lucky. I've now got an office that's not at home, so I've got a studio mm, and I perfect. go to work. And I think that that's made a real difference for me. Kind of leaving the house, you know, it is a job. It, it like making making theatre, yeah. writing shows is a job. I think that we're conditioned to think that it's 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 not. We're lucky, mm. and, and we are lucky. We do it, working in the arts, working in the arts is brilliant but it is also work yes After, you know working in the yeah. arts is work yeah and um, I, and a friend of mine picked me up from my office and we went for a drink on um, on uh, after, after I'd finished working on Friday and she was like oh how was your day and I'd, I'd had this whiteboard I've got I do a lot of things post-it notes whiteboard that's kind of where that's stuff that's where stuff starts yeah because yeah, you get, get it out of your brain and onto yeah. the wall and, and when I'm writing I do script stuff and if I need, if I need to fix something go and go backwards in a script I don't go backwards there and then I go forwards it goes on a post-it note next to me you know and then and then I go backwards and fix the thing that I just remembered then that didn't make any sense and so the thing that I'd noticed and I was, my brain was grappling with is that I'm writing 
um, a production of Dick Whittington for the New Wolsey Theatre in Ipswich. And Dick Whittington, this is how stupid our jobs can be sometimes, is that <laughs> Dick Whittington had lost his bag on a stick at <laughs> some point in Act Two and needed it at the end of Act Two to, in order to defeat King Rat. And I was like, I just don't know where this... I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know how he gets his stick back. And, her, and she was like, how is your day? And I was like, I, I, he needs to have his stick and I don't know where it comes from. I just don't know. He, he can't have it for this certain scene and he can't have it then, but he needs it at the end. So, you know, I was try, trying to work that out. <laughs> and then sometimes you find yourself talking to your friends who who are like, did you have a good day at work today, Vicky? And you're like, well, actually, I've got this really big problem. Well, yeah, so the friend that I was talking to, she she works in, um, she works in uh, something to do with uh, diseases yeah. at Cambridge <laughs> University. She's got a PhD. And I'm talking about Dick Whittington's bug on a stick <laughs> being my biggest problem. But, it, but, you know, we laugh about that. because it, But it is a big problem because the arts are so important. You know, yeah. we couldn't live without somebody studying, you know, diseases at uh, Cambridge as yeah. well as we can't do without the, the arts they are just integral so you mentioned your superpowers how did you know when did you first start to feel those superpowers like were you quite young when you started to think about theatre and how did you get into it and how did you sort of start to hone that craft that you've got now well basically I think looking back I've pivoted career about every decade Oh, I like so, this. Yeah, oh, I love that. This is so, good. We talk about this on the podcast because it's an important part of our evolution. And mm. I think a lot of people think that could be a negative, like "oh, I'm changing." It's like, no, this is this is a good thing. Yeah, I, I think the growth of the human. It's yeah. really good. I, I think there's two things. I I get bored, um, and then also, uh, no, maybe that's just it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's a good enough reason to change what you're yeah. doing. Um, yeah, or I, I do something. I do something to the fullest that I could have done, and then for whatever reason, it's not quite what I thought it was to be. So then I'll try something else. And so I started off. I started off uh, as a child, as a child prodigy flute player. Wow! So I went to music school. I was in the National Children's Orchestra. Um, I was a brilliant, brilliant flute player. Yeah. When I was about ten. <laughs> Crikey! Mm. That's I know. Did, I mean, well done. <laughs> Yay me. The, flute, the flute's great. <laughs> yeah. a, I mean, I used to play the flute, I think, you know, when I was younger. <laughs> Gave it a go. It's very hard. Very it, hard. Is, it is hard. And, and I sort of, I, I did that, I did that. And then I got to music school. I got to a specialist music school. And I, I got one of I got one of a very, very small amount of government-funded scholarships um, that was part of what was then called the Music and Ballet Scheme, which I now think is a scheme that doesn't exist. Mm, and I think right. that, that, that makes me very cross yeah. that somebody of my, me now from an incredibly ordinary background uh, I got the, the opportunity to go to an incredibly expensive music school that I'd never have been to in a million right. years. Um, yeah. You know, and and my husband did as well. He went to the, not the same one, but he went to a, he got he had the, it's weird because these scholarships are but you're talking like under ten people per wow. per year. Like we we both he's a he's a um, drummer and percussionist, and so we both went to different music schools. Um, so you all, you always knew music. Yeah. Was your thing. You felt that was sort of something that you had in you from a young age. Yeah, and I'd started writing songs um, when I was at school, but mainly to get out of flute practice. So, <laughs> genuinely, so I was meant to be, you know, uh, the reason why I think this, this school produces such brilliant musicians is the discipline that you learn. Is yeah. that I, have to do, I had to do two hours flute practice before school between 7 and 9 a.m., and then you did two hours after school, 6 to 8 p.m. So you did four hours flute wow. practice every day. Wow. Yeah, it's a on lot the, of flute practice. On the flute. On the flute. It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. not degrading the flute, but that's... It's a lot of flute. It's a lot of flute. It's a lot of flute. Yeah, I didn't know that much to learn about the flute. <laughs> well, in the, in the mornings, I was meant to be playing long notes. Long notes. Just mm. to work on your breath control, your tone. 
long notes in the morning, but, pieces in the this evening. This did you in good stead, by the sounds of it. Well, I, I used to knock off the evenings and, and uh, write music and sit on the piano. There was always a piano in the practice rooms and I'd just write songs. Wow. Um, and I thought that in my head that was rebelling. <laughs> I'm so naughty. I'm oh. writing songs and I should be playing the flute. <laughs> yeah, look at you. Know, oh. Really pushing the boundaries. <laughs> yeah. But now look at you. You're an Olivia Award winner. I mean, this is, um, you know, it's paid off. Yeah. Um, so just to, to, I'll just keep the, the, the journey strange. So I went yeah. um, I then decided that the flute wasn't enough and I had applied to be in the National Youth Music Theatre. Right. And they gave me an on stage flute playing role. <laughs> so they gave me a part Did and I got to put on a costume and I got to sit on bits of set and play the flute and that, that was it the flute was done that was I was it. like well, once I'd tasted once I'd tasted that, mm. that and, and we went to the Edinburgh Festival and this was in like 1999 I was in my early teens and we were we were at the Edinburgh Festival and that That's was amazing that, and that was and that was it I was absolutely done for and wanted, then just wanted to I was in the National Youth Music Theatre for many yeah. years and then eventually had a part where I wasn't playing the flute I was in a production of Oklahoma there was no flute yeah. I then wanted to go to <laughs> no drama there was no flute I then wanted to go to drama school yeah. I then studied musical theatre and it was at, when I started when I started studying musical theatre I started getting cast as the funny one right mainly because I can't I can't I couldn't be the person that stands and sings a, a serious song I just I just I couldn't do it I was I was terrible at it because <laughs> you know in, in musicals there's it, very there's very um, specific casting you're yeah. either you're either Laurie in, in Oklahoma yeah. or you're Ada Annie yeah. and, and all those although especially the old musicals there's always like the busty friend mm. and I was always right the busty friend right um, and so yeah so got into writing funny uh, got into got into singing funny songs and then started to audition for musicals and found that I was too young I was aud- I was 19 years old auditioning for Madame Thénardier in Les Mis not getting it because I'm 19 19 but you were in the room at 19 yeah yeah but 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 I but I was but I didn't work I didn't get any jobs but right. I was in the room but I was just but that's the thing about the arts isn't it you know you're out yeah. there plugging away trying to get the jobs being in the auditions and it's hard to then balance yeah. a job did you have to did you have to supplement your auditions with a so-called normal Oh yeah, I, I, I teach. I, I spent many, many years teaching singing. So I went to the Royal Academy of Music and did musical theatre. And whilst yeah. I was there, because I could prove my musicianship, they let me study uh, simultaneously for a teaching qualification. So I had a singing teaching Brilliant. qualification for the Royal Academy of Music and taught. I taught at like Italia Conti's and Erdang and all these, all these, um, all these. Yeah. drama schools and just did that mm. and then it was it was then when I decided to start writing funny songs because no one would employ me to sing funny songs well I was like well I'll do it myself and then got on the cabaret and stand-up scene spent 10 years as a stand-up comic after that yeah that I mean I've seen some of your things and it's fantastic they're so good so that transition though from I mean it's, it's quite it, you know people look at the arts as this one whole thing mm. but it's not you know there are definitely like lots of small divisions within that in terms of your progression like you said once you sort of get pigeonholed into something mm. people are like, oh no that's what she does that's over there but you know you've really kind of like progressed through different areas of the arts um and it's really interesting like to go and start singing comedy mm. and performing now that takes a lot of guts and you know a lot of confidence and you're suddenly mixing in a different circle of comedians mm. and they have their tribe of people and the way that they've all come through the ranks you know did you ever suffer with any sort of imposter syndrome or was there any like sets like you know self-doubt on where you were going in your journey or were you just going no I'm going to try this I'm going to try that and see what see what works yeah I didn't have any imposter syndrome I think 
so I, I'd, I'd written some funny songs and uh, I didn't know how to navigate getting gigs in stand-up and I spotted an advert in the back of the stage or somewhere like that, somewhere yeah. p- sort of pre-internet and it was that the American TV show Last Comic Standing was auditioning. Right. And so I was used to standing in an audition queue and queuing up and auditioning for something so I, I queued and I auditioned and, and I auditioned for Last Comic Standing uh, with, with a... With a I had... had Basically, like, only had five minutes, five to ten minutes of stand-up material, but went. Mm. And they put me through to the final, and it was at the Comedy Store. Yeah. And so I hadn't really done many gigs, but I was on at the Comedy Store, having just had the guts to just turn up at, at this audition. And they were so funny, because this, this American team was sat there going, so how do you feel you're going to be performing in front of, like, 150 people tonight? And <laughs> my, this is genuinely true, but the previous gig that I'd just done that week is that I'd just done uh, backing vocals for an Elton John tour. Oh, wow. Um, because Elton John employs Royal Academy of Music graduates. Wow, does a lot. he? Yes. Okay, that's good yeah. to know. And so Not genuinely... going to be recording. <laughs> yeah. that's, like, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> and genuinely, my previous gig to that gig was 13,000 at Wembley. So, so I was I was okay. 30. I was okay with um, uh, 13, one three. Still yeah, a lot, though. That's um, huge. Yeah, but, so I was okay with 150. You were like, 150 is nothing. I've totally got this. 13,000 at Wembley. So what gig was that? Um, it was his orchestral tour, so I can't remember what it was called. Um, I've got the pass, I've got the access all areas pass on my oh. on my on my court board, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, because we did an orchestral orchestral tours. So we did like the NEC, Albert Hall. It was it was wow. It was great. It was really good. And and has this um, this sort of love and passion and a sort of you know skill for for music and the arts has that come from your sort of mum and dad? Is it is it something that's been passed through? Have you grown up with it? No, it, it's funny because my mum, my mum is into. My mum was very much. Uh, if we're paying for the lessons, you're going to do the practice. Mm. So it was all about the financial transaction. It was like, you know, this is hard for us to afford. So if if you're doing flute, you've got to do. You've got to. You've got to do flute to the absolute best of your ability. Yeah. So it was. It was. It was that really. Really. Yeah. She just drilled that into you. Yeah. And that it was, was it. like if you're having the lessons, you're going to be brilliant at it. <laughs> yeah. And then you didn't waver. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fine. Good on it. And did <laughs> sure. she? Did she? Did she play? Did she get involved? Was she? I mean, yeah. I mean, she plays. She still plays a bit of basic piano, and my brother does as well. And yeah. so the, you know, there's kind of the family. There was music in the family, but there's there's definitely no. There's she was she worked in environmental health, and my dad worked in a warehouse. Like it was and. Uh, it took me a long time, and it's still taking me a long time to work out the industry. I think I I I, um, I believe that nepotism saves you a decade. I think it, I think it does um, in terms That's of just. Well, I think just in terms of contacts, I was yeah. flailing around for such a long time, yeah. and actually, I still flail around a bit. Whilst whilst you have to work out, like, how do I? So, if I want to do this, who do I need to talk to, and who do I? And and actually, if you know, if you just have contacts with someone that knows those things then then your your process to getting it is is quicker Mm. um i know it's easy to be horrible about nepotism but but i think it's just the doors it's the doors it opens while everyone else is just trying to work out where the key is (laughs) (laughs) that's such a good analogy i love that but the thing is it 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 does this industry you know the the media the arts that the the creative industries they are built on a reputation of who you know essentially Mm. yeah and it is very hard but you are such an amazing inspiration for people who don't have all those contacts who are looking to kind of start their journey and to, and to go on that journey and and to be ruthless and to sort of have that 
you know, you've got that um, confidence to go in and to also adapt yourself. And I think that's a really mm. interesting character trait that you have that you've just gone in and weaved your way through um, to where you are today. Mm. So there's lots of um, amazing things that you're working on today. Now, you have won an Olivia Award for, I have to say, <laughs> the, the best show. Hey, Dougie. Um, I, I said before we came on air, my, I've got a wonderful photo of my nephew who's under two, who's seen Hey Dougie twice. I definitely think, yeah, he's the biggest fan of Hey Dougie. Um, he won't understand this conversation. I'd have to show him a picture of Hey Dougie. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, like, I don't think he's listening to this podcast. Yes, I don't. <laughs> Two-year-old. <laughs> no, not yet. I mean, if we had a photo of Hey Dougie, he'd be all over it. But it, 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 um, it's so moving, you know, like to, to look at how moved he was by, the, by what you created on the stage is mind-blowing, you know. And as a child, I have loads of nieces and nephews and I'm watching them all grow up at the moment and it's it just brings me so much joy. And to see their faces and their bodies and everything about their being changes when they listen to great music or when they see something great. And my mum... Um, my mum plays them all sorts of things from the stage. Um, we, we're a big fan of anything, anything theatrical and musical um, to show the kids. I can just see their whole being changes. It's like, because they're also seeing it through the, their eyes for the first time and and it genuinely moves people. You know, to start so early, to go to sort of uh, supporting children and to really putting that time and effort into children is is rare. And how did you and why did you start to sort of you know, focus in that area? And is there something specific around children and creativity that you felt was really important? I mean, I didn't set out, I didn't set out to write any family, it wasn't in the business as family entertainment. Yeah. I, 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 it wasn't ever on my list. Um, but in theatre, it's, it's this thing that's mo. It's it's a it's a banker in terms of theatres. So most theatres will put on family entertainment at Christmas, family entertainment in the summer. Yeah. Um, and it's where the most work is actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've tried so hard to get my original musicals on, and especially post pandemic, theatres is too high risk. So a theatre a theatre would probably only put on one musical a year, mm. and the chances of them risking some original intellectual property is, is so low. And so I've learned that. That's taken a while to okay. learn, but so, I've learned that so now. So you're also having to take on the business side, aren't you, quite yeah. heavily? Yeah, yeah, you have to think what, when you're sort of pitching and yeah. trying to get people to, to, to sort of commission you, you, you've got to think about actually what's commercial and, and, and what's going to sell. Yeah. And so I've, I've started to become a person that uh, is approached for these things. And yeah. um, I, I, I was in, this is a kind of weird period but I was I for a while loved doing it but I was quite successful at it too at doing male baddie in pantomime <laughs> so um, you were the male I was yeah I was so I have you, played Abanaza okay flesh creep amazing um and it made me love I it made me love pantomime I did pantomime me and my husband met on a pantomime where I was a fairy and that oh, was amazing. so rubbish <laughs> I mean being a, a fairy, fairy is utterly boring is it just boring you yeah yeah you just you know yeah. a pyro goes off you're holding yeah. a wand you say a poem and then you go and sit in your dressing room. Like, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. <laughs> so true. So we want to be the baddie because everyone boos yeah. and it's a really, like, everyone gets together. The audience feels like they're just one big attack yeah. on the baddie. And, and I, so I spent a lot, I spent, I did two years at the Lyric Hammersmith and then a couple of other years on in commercial pantomimes doing male baddie. And I got to learn a lot about panto. Mm. And then at 
the lyric Hammersmith asked me to write their panto. So they asked me, and they often get like quite sort of left field writers to write their pantomimes. And so, um, and so, yeah, I wrote uh, Aladdin for them, and I'm doing Cinderella for them this year. And th- lots of people tend to go to that, so it made me sort of yeah, uh, sort of elevated. And that's I think where the Hey Dougie team sort of, sort of brought me brought me on from yeah. from kind of doing that. And now I'm do- I mean this Christmas I've got three shows on at the same time, which is going <gasps> to incredible. be yes. They're all in what's called the tech, the technical rehearsals at the same time. At oh, the same time. So, mm. um, are you cloning yourself? Are we going? Are we going that way? How are you going to manage all of this, Vicky? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. Is the answer? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to go. I'm going to be going between Hammersmith. Kingston and Ipswich every day. Oh, so I think I'll. They'll, each venue will see me once every three days. Eh? Okay, so you just drive a car around. We'll get someone just, to drive you with a bed yeah. in the back so you I can just sleep go, I just go, I just go in a circle okay. around the three venues. And luckily, uh, my house is kind of in between the journey back from Ipswich back to the next <laughs> I was one. Say, so I can. Can you just get yourself a caravan and not yeah. the, tra- the travelling <laughs> travelling producer? Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So um, when you had when you were approached by Hey Dougie and you, you knew this was something a bit different, what kind of drew, drew you to this, you know, in terms of um, from a creative aspect, from working with the kids? And, you know, I've seen firsthand the impact that this has had. And so how does that play out for you? Well, it was interesting. So um, the, the co-adapter, uh, Matthew Zier, brilliant director, Matthew Zier. So um, I wrote it and we co-adapted it together. And what that kind of meant was that we, there's so much, there's so much Dougie. There's 300 plus episodes of Hey Dougie. Mm. And so when you're looking at a stage show, each episode of a kids TV show, most kids TV shows for that age group are seven minutes long. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at a 60 minute show um, that needs to have a through line beyond seven minutes. But there's a lot of formula to Dougie that you want to kind of keep so our kind of process of adapting it was watching loads of stuff now Matthew has kids so came across Dougie organically I didn't yeah um, I don't have children so it was not something it's not yeah. something I, I came across and hey Dougie has been so interesting because if you if you do uh, if you do have a child or you interact with a child under five Dougie's a rock star Dougie's massive yeah but if you don't You've got no idea who it is no absolutely no idea but, the stick, but even if you have no children please go and listen to the stick song the, the, the stick song is quite an extraordinary, <laughs> quite an extraordinary piece uh, of art. Um, I've never seen yeah. anything more quite amazing. Yeah, a mini rave. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so we were uh, in, in co-adapting it. We the first thing we we decided to do, and it was something we always came back to, was what are the audience expectations? And I think that that I, I reckon like most like. I don't know bands and stuff like that. Like when you're touring, you, mm. there's certain songs that you want to hear, or there's certain bits, and so we, we wanted to we wanted to make sure that we met. That's the, that's the key in, in theatre yeah. mostly. I think if you're looking at pre-existing intellectual property, you really do want to meet audiences' expectations and then exceed them. Yeah. Um, I think if you don't, uh, it's a waste of time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, well, you certainly have done with Hey Dougie, and I think. It's interesting because, you know, yes, there are things that go on at Christmas and there's, you know, maybe one summer thing. But this this from what I've listened to and heard, it's it's just been different. And it's it's actually it, it's nice to see people putting time in for the kids when actually they're at the age where they can listen to that and be enthralled by it and be inspired by it. It does really sit in their souls when they listen to that. Um is there more that we need to do, do you think, with the arts and children and creativity to, to make sure that's still a focus? Are we, are we losing that a little bit with the rise of, you know, kids being on their phones while their parents have a drink and <laughs> they can sit quietly? 
I do, yeah. I mean, the 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 thing with Hey Dougie was that there is there, there's a lot of pressure because it, it will be the first time many of these young children go to the theatre. Mm. And if you get the first time right, they will find it such a magical experience that they'll want to come back again and again and again. And if the parents also have a good time, they'll want to bring their kids again. And they might then take a risk on something they haven't heard of. Mm. So, you know, the, Dougie's touring all over the UK. And so, you know, by, by Hey Dougie's a big famous piece for that, that age group, but you, you, you've got them in and they're in there and they're looking at posters they're maybe looking at a brochure they're yeah. they're spotting other work maybe in the studio theater and they might take a risk on on something else and then ultimately they've, they've got their child into that space you know yeah they're not on devices they're they're, they're and they're watching something they're watching something uh, that what is 2d and on a screen but now it's it's real it reminds me of a time um a few many years ago when i was in um i was in panto with a, a cbb's presenter mm. and my little nephew my little nephew came to see it and was absolutely incensed with rage at his mother um, <laughs> because I, I then introduced him because that's one of the privileges you can do when you're writers. Yeah. You take your, take your yeah. young, you know, introduce them to the, <laughs> to the characters. And I, introduced, and I introduced my nephew to the CBB's presenter and he turned to, his, he turned to my sister-in-law and she went, and he's, he's Scottish, and he went, Mummy, you told me she wasn't real. <laughs> and was just like you've, like, you've lied, like you've betrayed me. You told me that she wasn't real, and here she is. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> so sweet. It's so sweet, and it, and it's um, you know, as we get older, we lose that idea of fantasy. But mm. the but going going to see the theatre, even when you're older, it is mesmerising. Um, I went to the Kit Kat Club in um, Paris. Oh wow! Yeah, in February. And it was just mesmerising. You know, it's to see people on stage and, and, and to get lost in somebody else's story mm. is quite, it's quite amazing. Now, have you felt, when you're creating your characters and, and sitting there writing and, and looking at sort of the development, have you learnt more about yourself in those moments where you're like, oh, I could learn something from that character? Or have you applied anything of your own life as it seeped through any of the, the character formations? Mm. I don't know. I mean, in Hey Doggy, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to uh, develop characters because they're all very, um, yes. all very fixed. But the stuff that I could do was uh, there's one role. There's one role that that plays all of the side characters so um she she basically gets changed into another costume like every five minutes oh, wow. and comes on as someone else and it's such a fun part Great. and so and so that was that was fun because i was I, I found myself like creating the part that i would like to play yeah you know and i, I do that a bit i sort yeah. of i sort of you know think i do think about what what i would enjoy as a performer as well as as well as as well as the audience and i think it's important to Think about that because you know if actors have a good time, then audiences yeah are also going to have good time. I, I I like I like writing silly things. I also write a lot of silly stuff in scripts that is for the for the cast. That's not for do you? Yeah, there's there's, there's, there's like gags that are in um in the stage directions. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. And have you have you like grown that that comedy side of you now? Do you feel like that's a real that's a strong part of your being that you just 
is going to evolve over time now? Is that just getting bigger? Yeah, I mean, I think there's something, there was something very particular. I was doing stand-up at a time when there weren't any female headliners. There was, like, two. There was Sarah Millican. You know, it was really, yeah. like, it's not the same now. But I, I was, I, when, I, when, I, when I started, I became a headliner really quickly yeah. because there wasn't, there wasn't anyone else. Yeah. And there was a sudden massive pressure for venues to book. And also I'm musical. Mm. And uh, musical... It actually lifts an audience they cap yep. after every song other stand-ups hate it because you get a you get mm. a you get a sort of leg up yeah you know you get you get a head start so so I, I, i'd end up headlining a lot but it also meant that the minute that you walk on stage there, there would always be a piano preset for me i'd be introduced i'd walk on so if you were at like a city comedy club uh, often very male heavy audiences the minute that you walk on stage they're disappointed the minute that you walk behind a piano they're disappointed like 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 you, really? before you even open your mouth you're dealing with but how do you how do you overcome that then because that just as you're saying that, i'm kind of feeling the dread i'd be like oh god maybe i should just walk off maybe i should how do you get by that do well you... the thing that it taught me was about economy of text in songwriting so i basically i basically wasn't allowed unlike my male counterparts at the yeah. time i wasn't allowed to not say anything funny Mm. So, so it, 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 right. I, I definitely felt like at the time, male comics could definitely do more storytelling. Their jokes could be a bit kind of baggier, and you know, I could have done a song that was more lyrical, lyrical, and then come in with a punchline. But I, I felt, and it, it was real, that I wasn't allowed to do that, and they, I would have lost them unless I really just cracked on with the gags. And right. it made my writing so tight. And 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 I'd, I'd I'd write songs, I'd test them on the, I'd test them on sort of new material nights, and they'd get tight and tighter and tighter and I'd take things out and I'd and it and um it made me learn things about when people are listening to music for the first time and digesting comedy mm. you've got to be really clear about like the use of syllables and what type of notes you use and how complicated it is and I learned all of that because I had to make sure it was down to its simplest terms and was as funny as it could physically possibly be mm. which now means that I that their skills that I then I don't use them in stand up I don't do it anymore and so they're now skills that I use entirely in mm. theatre writing um which were honed basically out of being scared in Cardiff <laughs> on a Saturday night. But the point is, you, you didn't <laughs> yeah. walk off stage, so you kind of used that moment to to grow and learn, and to actually hone your skill without just walking off. Because just listening to that, I just thought, oh, maybe I would turn back. But the point is, you didn't. And actually, what you've done is also paved the way for other women now to come up and also, you know, to demonstrate that it can be done. But people don't always see the hard work that goes on behind the scenes and your creative process sounds really interesting like how you know how long does a creative process typically take for you do you have to literally take yourself out of like london to another country to like sit back or you're at home like how how does it like map out for you when you're sitting there with a you know a new brief in front of you and they're like right there you go vicky off you go you've got to go and make some magic for us because we know you're wonderful so no pressure and off you go and <laughs> that moment you're like okay well, I think I mean I mean that all that very these days very much depends. I mean, so first of all, I, I don't I don't live in London anymore. I left. I was one of those people that left. I live I live in uh, I live in the Essex countryside. We which love is very Essex. Nice. Great, um, great place. So I now have an external studio, which which is good because then I I don't have to take myself into a creative space. I have a job. Yeah. I leave the house. I go to work. Yeah. There's, and, I, and there's always I now have always there's always a deadline. Uh, I there, there I now I currently have. 
um, my year pretty much mapped out. Well, the entire year is mapped out until the 6th of December. So I always have a task that is more urgent than the others. Mm. And so, like, this week I'm doing the orchestrations on Alice in Wonderland. Last week I was doing the script of Dick Whittington because the deadline was Monday. And so, like, th- like this week I'm sitting down... And like looking at what instruments play what, and there's kind of the complexities involved in that. Um, and so, yeah, it's now it's just it is just work. It's just work. Mm. Mm. It, I don't have to like g myself up yeah. it, it, into a zone. It, 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 is, it is just a job. That's um, it's yeah. so fantastic when that happens because that's you know I think people even when it's a job can find it still difficult to kind of have that natural writer's block or sort of a creativity somewhere like where's this going but you know you sound so clear in the way that you can actually lay things out and how deadlines can work for you rather than Mm. being scary I know for deadlines for me if I've got a deadline and my back's against the wall I'll always produce Mm -hmm. something when I don't have one things go on for like years Mm. but just like oh I'll get to that I just think as a writer, you, you don't don't put yourself under pressure, especially theatre writing, on the first draft. Mm. There are team, there, there is always a team of people who will who will give you their opinion on it. You know, anyway. Yeah. So actually, it's it, I, I I don't I don't stress about first drafts anymore. I just get my basic ideas down. I don't need to pour over it. Like I get it down to the best of my ability because then it will get it will have another set of eyes. And if you've really tweaked and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked it, I found this myself. Is I, I used to get defensive about notes. Yeah. If you've absolutely poured over something it, it the notes can then feel like oh oh aren't i good enough and they feel like a personal attack but whereas you realize is that given the notes is somebody else's job as well yeah. they, like they've got to do their job and actually sometimes they're like oh they're probably like trying to find something and actually they, like the yeah you like that's the thing i've learned is that yeah. you don't you don't need to be tass, like handing in perfect work it's almost better to hand in something that another eye at, and you're genuinely at the point at which another eye would be useful mm, that's like the sort of quote I've said before in this book, I was like, um, done is better than perfect. Yes, exactly. And that's, but that's hard sometimes. Yeah, but, but you just got to get on with it. Yeah, and also like in theatre writing, it's a three draft, it's a three draft process. Yeah. So if, you, if you're handing in perfect stuff on draft one, people will find, people will poke at it. Yeah. And I'd, <laughs> please poke at the thing that's done, not the thing that's perfect. <laughs> perfect <yeah. laughs> so what, what things do you, you know, what kind of, sort of key traits or key areas of your life that you've really learned about yourself over the last few years as you've as you've developed within the industry uh i've learned about i've learned that it's good to learn so mm. um i have I, I i guess i always require new skills um and i have done you know if talk, even if we're talking about like flute and stand-up and musical theater and and i and i i read in a book once that in order to be in order to be kind of employed as, as the best at something let's say stand-up comedy you have to be in the top two percent if you're going to be truly brilliant at tennis or flute or whatever yeah. it is you've got to be in the top two percent if you're in the top 25 percent of two or more things you will constantly work and that's where I think I sit. Ooh, so I so 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 I, I think I, so I think if you want yeah. comedy and theatre, music, theatre, comedy, music, stand up, like you know that that's where you, that's where people are coming to me because mm. I straddle two. I've got yeah. expertise in two different areas. So I'm not. I'm now not afraid about spending the time acquiring new skills. And um, last year, I, uh, last year I had a, another different job for me. I was the musical director on a TV show called yeah. Romeo and Duet. Yeah. 
Uh, weirdly, the first uh, first uh, female on-screen musical director of a primetime entertainment show in the UK, wow. which is terrible. I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah it's hard to celebrate. I found it hard to celebrate that because it's, just, it's just embarrassing. That's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I'm shocked, actually. Yeah. I just can't believe that. Yeah, there, there have been female... So there have been female musical directors of, like, um, house bands on telly, but not, like, not yeah. like the job, like, of the, you know, the, the Dave Archer and the Strict Band. That's kind of what this was. This was a house band yeah. backing uh, a singing wow. talent show. And my job, as well as being the MD, is that my job was to do all what's called click tracks. So all the accompaniment tracks, do all the arrangements. Mm. Um, and so I got incredibly good at software called Logic. Yeah. And in order to um, in order to get good enough to do the show, I decided to hire a bit of a, like, a bit of a coach. Yeah. So instead of doing classes, I just put, put the word out going, look, I, I need someone that's an absolute Logic whiz. I want you to come to my studio and watch me work and tell me where I can get better at it. Great. So I took I took Great. the bit I took the bit of my skill set that was yeah. the weakest and essentially like like had a sort like hired a mentor, hired somebody to watch yeah. me and I learned so, you know, just by watching my cuz I'm not I'm not brilliant at the attention span of watching a YouTube video to no. to learn something. I, that's not. I, you need I don't, to learn by doing. I need to learn by physically being taught yeah. or by doing. Um, yeah. And so decided to yeah pay someone and upskill and and you know it's just useful to just keep adding to your yeah. skill set. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think as we get older, we often get too busy to lean into new things and to try new things, or maybe we're too afraid because we don't think we'll be any good. My husband's actually learning French at the moment, oh, nice. which I am so impressed with because he's an East London born and bred strong accent you know the whole shebang so it's French with a twang of East London mm. but it, it's learning a new skill and he's got two sessions a week he's got a coach as well and it makes a huge difference and I think it really energises you as well and gets you excited when you mm. can like learn something and take that on um, I have to ask you Vicky like, what do you do to relax what's your like off switch like what what does a, a day look like for you when you're sort of trying to relax do you are you into sort of getting outdoors yoga meditation or are you always pretty much on because yeah I, I don't really I don't really relax no okay. um, but I do <laughs> I do I did think you've got a lot on I don't think you've got time to relax um, I don't really relax but I do absolutely love uh Lifting weights, great. Um, fitness. I go to I go to a, I go to a lot of fitness classes with a great. There's a fantastic group that I exercise with called Saffron Walden Fitness. Yeah, and I go several times a week, and it's just a great, like, nice group of people, and just just like lifting heavy weights and like <laughs> doing loads of burpees. And I, I like I like all that, and I kind of I also need to expend that physical energy as well. Yeah. So like my relaxing is. <laughs> Like doing like full out exercise, um, but I suppose you know it's it's. So you're not a Netflix a and chill kind of girl then? No, no, I'm not a massive telly watcher. Um, actually, where we're recording this podcast, I, I like reality TV. I don't like story based telly. Yeah. I find it very difficult to watch when you're a writer. I, 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 I have to watch reality TV to switch off. Mm. I can't watch stories. Yeah. I don't want to be like analysing. Yeah. Oh, look at the Bay plot. I I, I can't. <laughs> I come from that sometimes from a different perspective. <laughs> on like where the where mind break my mind at work sometimes and I yeah I can look at overanalyze stories I'm not good at reading story books either I have to for me it's yeah I have to switch off reading other types of books um, but yeah it's funny isn't it I'm you know you're in that world so I guess watching it you're going to analyze and see and be like oh did they mean that is that quite right or no yeah, I think it's, it's, just, it's hard it's hard to switch your brain off 
and, and just and just sit back, which is why I just love love reality TV. I mean, this where we're recording this podcast is, uh, yeah, I think episode three of Interior Design Masters this year. Oh my god! And love I that. love the fact that you sort of notice that straight away. You're like, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this episode. It was very good. It was a very very strong bar. Just <laughs> seem to remember, there's a lot of gold leaf about the place. <laughs> you know what? I I'm a uh, I'm a slight addict to Desperate Housewives. Beverly Hills, it's 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 bad. But I'm a bit like you. I need to watch like trash mm. and nothing. Yeah, intele- like intellectual is going on. No, nothing below deck is my oh, oh below deck. Me. I oh. Am, oh, love it. <laughs> so just so awful. It's funny, isn't it? You know, you are a hyper intelligent, incredible spark of a woman. You're like, I love below deck. I love below deck. I was actually in a meeting with a television executive that I knew was like one degree of separation from <laughs> the production team of below deck. <laughs> and I did ask her in the meeting. I was like, um, how? how What's the chances of getting me on as a charter guest but not having to pay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, you could do the entertainment. You no, be, I want to be a charter you guest. You want to be a guest. I don't want to be, <laughs> want to be a charter guest, but without having to, like, yeah. you know, without having to hand over the, the $50,000 at the end. Award yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, like, they give it to you. Like, you know, like, is that a thing? Will they, like, give you a pile of cash like, as a prop to hand over? <laughs> yes. I mean, could we bring Below Deck, you know, to the theatre? It's probably a very niche market. It's very niche. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do you have a, like a quote or mantra or anything that you've stuck by that really has inspired you along your journey? Uh, yeah, um, it, it, there's that phrase, isn't it? It always seems impossible until it's done. Mm, so yeah. it does. It always seems impossible, then it. But then it's done. Yeah, it's done. And then you're like, oh, oh yeah, it's done. And move on to the next. Yeah. And that's how it feels. How did it feel, uh, you know, winning your award this year? What, what was that feeling like? The Olivier's was, was amazing. Uh, I can recommend it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Put it on the vision board, everyone. Yeah, um, uh, yeah uh, it was really, it was really, really good. Uh, yeah, I was quite hungry. Um, <laughs> but that's because we were all, because, because of the nature of the show, that, uh, the way that the red carpet works at the Olivier's, we, wanted, we were told to get on the red carpet early because we wanted to have... Dougie, the big yeah. puppet Dougie yeah. on the carpet, yeah, and also right. um, with a sort of from a PR perspective, um, if you're less famous, you should be sorry. If you're less famous, you should get on the carpet early so that they want to interview you. As soon yeah. as Jodie Comer turns up, they don't want, they don't want to talk mm. to you. No one's interested, so you get there early. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the big Dougie puppet was caught in traffic, so oh. then so then the, the Dougie couldn't come on to right at the end. Uh. So we we had to mill about the red carpet for like nearly two hours oh my lord and then we were ushered to our seat so we didn't even have a chance to go to the bar I was like oh my god if we win we're doing this dry Um, so (laughs) like just need a little tipple I know I know and so actually actually the first drink that we had was uh, so after you win you get sort of hoarded shuffled through into this winner's area and somebody handed me a glass of Tattinger which I literally drank in one and I was like can I immediately have another (laughs) (laughs) did you and now I I feel like I know the answer to this question but I have to ask you did you expect to win? Was there any like signs? I, 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 we had prepared. So yeah. I don't think it's expecting, but we prepared in that. So one in four chance, and also we're representing a show. So um, you know, me, me and the co-adapter Matthew Zier were going up to collect it, and we both get a statue, which That's is very cool. cool. Um, but uh, you know, we were representing a team, and so it wasn't the right thing to do to to go. Oh, what a surprise! You know, we okay. we had a short amount of time. We practiced. We practiced on Zoom. We each like wrote half a speech, and and we said, "We'll take that out, take that out." And so we we we, we took it. You know. 
you should take it seriously because if you do get your moment up there, make sure that I, I wanted I wanted to make make, yeah. make sure that we were um, ready. The 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 most. The bit that I found really nervous is that I found out a few days before it was my best friend yeah. uh, presenting the category. And so she texts me and I was like, I think, I think if I look at, I think I'll burst into tears if we don't win and watch somebody else. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. like, like, I do. So, yeah, um, absolutely. It was presented by Helen George, uh, yeah. called, the, called the midwife, who uh, we've been each other's bridesmaids and like we've known <sighs> each other for nearly 20 years. And, and yeah, so she, it was such a, there's a really funny moment that I watched back in the video where like I hug her and like lift her off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, gosh, that doesn't look great. That way, things really paid But off. it also makes me look really keen because no, like, like to the outside eye, yeah. you know, they really people did. don't know that we're friends. I like, I've, I've just made Helen George from Call the Midwife Airborne. Is what's happened there. <laughs> and that, that weightlifting is, you know, yeah. paying off. So, did you have visions of winning? That was the plan to kind of, you know, that was on the goal list of like, this is this is where we want to be with this. Yeah, it was actually. Uh, I'd just go out and say it was. And I'd, I'd attended the Olivier's the previous year and I knew I had... I knew I was writing Dougie at that point, the yeah. previous ceremony. I was sat with my agent and watching it. And I watched the family category and I did say to her, that's, what I wanna, that's where I want to be next year. And you said it and then it, yeah. it happened. I said it and it happened. But, you know, we, we had to write a good show. Yeah. <laughs> There's a small bit in between where you, you know, had to deliver the on the work. You know, yeah, we, actually, we actually had to do it. But, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, but it, it also didn't feel like a... Pipe dream. It felt like, and it did at the time when I turned around, it did feel like an achievable goal. Like, let's mm. stick it on the table. I know it's a big thing winning in, in Olivier, but I was like, oh, if we if we get this right, and, and that, then there we were. I mean, it's a fantastic accomplishment. I mean, it's huge. I mean, I saw the category as well, and you were up against some incredible, incredible shows. So, you've done so well. Is next year aimed to you know to get another one? Is is have you got that? in your eye well I mean I would like so obviously that, that was the, for the category of best family show yeah. I'd love I'd love to uh, get one for best new musical but the challenging thing is getting someone to produce a musical that I've written in the first place so right. and that that is incredibly difficult and then you've got to then also my, my plan hopefully is to try and get get I'm going to try and pull in three venues so that they can share the risk. Oh. One of which is a London venue. I Great. hope that I can make it transfer if it transfers. Like you know, it's it's like a, it's like um, it's several stages of the yes. process. You can't yeah. just go bosh. Here's yeah. my West End show. Yeah, it's it's actually got a and I and I've got I've got three shows, three shows that I've written that actually are good to go and and good. Yeah, but it's all too it's all, it's all too much risk it's from all, a from a producing point of view. So yeah, my plan is. Th- three venues, out of town, into yeah. town, but we'll see. Well, I have no doubt that you're going to be able to do that, Vicky. It's um, uh, it's it's a sort of a closing uh, final question that we do on this podcast for everybody who we interview, and that question is: What does becoming more human mean to you? Uh, well, I think uh, I've uh, in the last maybe. Three or four years, I've done a lot of work kind of working out my own brain and like trying to and not just accepting like my own behavior or like working out like, for instance, uh, this is rather strange, but I, I worked out that um, I have a sort of I don't know the best way to describe it, but a bit of a a bit of a tick, I suppose, or a mm. um, like a. I essentially grind my teeth all the time. Wow. Uh, to the point where I've had to have one removed. Yay! Oh. Um, but I worked out that I, 
I, I, it plays tunes. So my brain plays tunes via my teeth. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> all day long. Super. Um, <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> We've got some award-winning tunes in Yay! there today. Come on. Um, but, you know, uh, but, so I think becoming more human is like, it's like when you get older, you're like, okay, so w- w- what is my brain doing and why is it doing that? And, and I need to, like, turn my consciousness to, you know, behaviours that aren't serving me and have some, have some you know, have therapy and CBT and things to try and then, like, you know, it's all very yeah. well having all these career goals, but, you know, I can't lose a tooth every time I make a show. So... <laughs> Well, that's just it, isn't it? You know, yeah. you, you, you can't do that. You might end up, you know, being a little toothless by, you know, in the next yeah. 10 years otherwise. But, yes, yeah, so that's what becoming more human yeah. means. It's like, it's like, you know, I, I want to do all these things, but I also want to be a good wife and a nice person and nice to work with. And mm. so I think by, like... Working your shit out. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what we like to do on this show. We always like to work our shit out. Yeah. And, um, and, and you realise, just like writing a play, you know, it's a journey. You have to go on that journey, you know, of self-discovery. And it's, it's a, it can feel very cruel and very gruelling at times mm. and quite awkward and sticky and uncomfortable. But, you know, you have to break through that to get out the other side and, and see the sort of next reborn like sort of a birth of the next version of you mm. um and who knows you know what you might be creating you know once you're you know you're in that journey i guess you're probably well on the way of that journey to of self-discovery it's a uh, yeah yeah I, I i i think i am yeah 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 yeah, yeah. We, all, <laughs> we all are it's a hard one but you know i think that's it's really interesting isn't it sort of your feeling of becoming more human you know you have these work goals but the personal goals you know, well, I think for me personally, the work goals have been everything. It's been my whole life. And then when you go, oh, oh, gosh, my mind is a mess. Um, and, you know, so uh, and I think we all can really we all really can get really fixated on on work, like being being the only thing we aim for. And especially in the arts, like people, when someone said to me, what are your hobbies? This is before I started doing exercise and weightlifting and that kind of stuff. I was like, I don't know. I haven't got any hobbies because my job, same with my husband, he's a, he's a drummer and percussionist. It's like when you do, when you do things that are other people's hobbies, then, then what do you do? And, mm, and, 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 so and, if, and if like making the art is making me like grind my teeth with like, with tunes, and I and didn't even so realise that I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah, and it's it totally, it's totally in my subconscious, and it's and it's like and it's it's where it's like playing melodies, it's play 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 rhythms, walking along, and I it took, it's taken me such a long time to realise that as well. It's like oh my god, I've been and I was also like I've been doing that my whole life, and you're all consumed. You are the play, you are the thing that you're mm-hmm. doing. It's very much you, yeah. And now you have to learn to kind of separate that. Yeah, out. and it's like oh, I've actually like and also especially I feel like now I have achieved a lot of career goals that I've been after and so I don't actually need to keep like urgently racing towards the thing I can just calm down I can have an office I can have a job you know mm. that, that and that's what like getting the office and the separation and the and so like now I don't because obviously I think when I was in my 20s it all felt and even 30s early 30s it all felt so urgent like, yeah. oh my god I've got to get this and I've got to do that and I've got to send this pitch out and now it's like no it's okay just for be normal it can be nine to five like <laughs> have you found meditation yet no <laughs> i'm getting you back 
back on next year. No. I'm going to give you 12 months. I right? have time for that. <laughs> I know you haven't. To anything. I can see. I can see that in you. That spark. You're like no way. I can't, no yoga. No Pilates. No yeah, thank you. Right. Okay. Well, we like to set homework on this podcast, so I think I'm going to set you some homework, Vicky. <laughs> no deep breathing. None of that. <laughs> oh, you'll be amazed what it can do for you. <laughs> well, I'm going to hold you to that one. Okay. Look, Vicky, it's been a pleasure to have you on and to, to listen to you and your creative process and everything you've achieved. You are a truly an inspiration. So thank you so much. I'm Francesca Donnellan and you've been listening to Becoming More Human, the podcast. You can follow Becoming More Human on Instagram, subscribe, rate and review the podcast on your podcast apps such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon and Google. And don't forget to check out our website for exclusive audio content on becomingmorehuman.co.uk. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation. Thank you for listening.